This morning we're back in 1 Peter. We're coming to 1 Peter chapter 2, and the title of this sermon is Growing in Our Salvation. So if you haven't already, I would invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. In an article titled, What Causes Food Cravings? The author said this, A food craving is an intense desire for a specific food. This desire can seem uncontrollable and may cause a person to crave typically unhealthy foods. In some cases, food cravings may lead a person to desire junk foods. Food cravings are extremely common, with more than 90% of people experiencing them. Every person experiences cravings differently, but they are typically temporary and often for processed foods that are high in sugar, salt, and unhealthy fats. In our text here before us this morning, Peter commands us to crave He commands us to have a desire, a longing. And not just a temporary craving, but an ongoing craving in our lives. He knows that the best thing for us as believers is to have a longing, a desire, a yearning, a craving. But it has nothing to do with physical food. It has everything to do with spiritual food. Spiritual longing, spiritual craving, but not spiritual junk food. Instead, we are to crave spiritually pure food. And this spiritually pure food, what Peter tells us, is the Word of God. In fact, notice what Peter says in verse 1 of chapter 2. He says this, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If you remember back in chapter 1 and verse 23, Peter began talking about the Word of God as the means by which you and I have been born again. It was the gospel message that we heard, and it was the means then of God's Word that you and I were saved. In fact, in verse 23 of chapter 1, he tells us that we have been born again through the living and enduring Word of God. Then he says in verse 25, which was preached to you. It was preached to us. And it's the Word of God that brought us new life. But now Peter begins to tell us what our life looks like in regards to that Word that has saved us. Not only is it the living and enduring Word of God and the means of our new birth, But, as the living and enduring Word of God, it is that Word that sustains our new birth as well. And it grows us as children of God. And it is the evidence, that desire, that longing for that Word of God 
is evidence that we have been truly born again. You see, the sign of a true believer, a true child of God, is that they will love the Word of God. They desire it. They delight in it. In fact, I will tell a lot of people who are struggling with whether or not they are a believer, I will tell them that there needs to be fruit in their life if they truly are a child of God. And what is the first sign of that fruit? They will love the Word of God. Man, I'll ask them that. Do you love God's Word? Do you delight in God's Word? Do you desire God's Word? Because that's what a true believer does. One commentator says, if we have a love for the simple and pure truths of the gospel, it is evidence that we have spiritual life. As the desire of appropriate nourishment is evidence that an infant has natural life, the newborn soul loves the truth. It is nourished by it. It perishes without it. It begins with a love for God's Word. A desire for God's Word. Isn't that what David tells us in Psalm 119, 97? Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And in Psalm 119, 127, he says, Therefore, I love your commandments above gold. Yes, above fine gold. It was David's heart. He loved the Word of God. There's a a love and a, a longing and a desire for God's Word among those who are true children of God. And that's what Peter is commanding us here in verse 2 in our passage where he says, long for the pure milk of the Word. That's the command. We're commanded to crave God's Word. To long for it. To desire it for the purpose of spiritual growth. That's what Peter wants for his readers and for us in this passage. He wants us to go beyond the new birth and really begin to live the spiritual life as a child of God who is growing in our salvation. And in order for that growth to happen, there are three obligations that we have as children of God. And that's what we're going to see in our passage before us. We'll see first what we must cut off. Second, we're going to see what we must crave And then third, we're going to see what we must consider. What we must cut off, what we must crave, and what we must consider. And these are three obligations that you and I must have as believers in Christ in order to grow. And so let's look at our first point, point number one, what we must cut off. Notice what Peter says there in verse one. He says, therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now notice that word therefore at the beginning of the verse. What is the therefore relating back to? Well, some see it relating all the way back to verses 13 through 25 in chapter one. But I see this as referring back to what Peter has just told us in verses 23 through 25. 
where Peter has introduced to us the living and enduring Word of God by which we have been born again. I believe that that's what Peter is referring to here when he says, therefore. He's referring to that Word that has saved us, the Gospel proclamation that was preached to us. and We heard it and we responded to its command to repent and trust in Christ. And because of that word, that gospel that was preached to us, we have been saved. It's the means by which God has saved us. And what Peter is doing here by saying therefore is he's reminding his readers to remember that the same word of God that has the power to save them is also the same word of God that has the power to sustain them in their walk with Christ. And to grow them as believers in Christ. But in order for us to grow as believers, first there are some things that we must get rid of. Notice that Peter tells us, therefore, putting aside. Putting aside. In the Greek, that word for putting aside is an imperatival participle. Which simply means it's not an imperative in the Greek, but it has the force of an imperative And it complements the imperative in verse 2, which is to long for. Essentially, here's what this means. Putting aside in this context here is a command. We must put off. We must put aside these things. And we must long for. What Peter is telling us here in this passage before us is there are two commands. First, there are things you must put off. And second, there are things which you must long for. That is, in in your longing for God's Word, first, there are things that you must put off. You must put off. And the picture behind putting aside or putting off here is the idea of stripping off clothes. That's that's the picture. That's the idea behind this word here. In ancient Christian baptism ceremonies, when you came to be baptized, you would discard the old clothes that you wore to that baptism ceremony. And then you would put on the new clothes that you would receive from the church. The church would give you new clothes. And so you would leave that ceremony with new clothes on. You put off the old ones and you put on the new ones. It's symbolic of the Christian life. But what is it that we are to put off? Well, Peter says, notice what he says there, all malice. And I want you to see that word all there. Notice that he says it three times. He says all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. He doesn't say just get rid of some of these sins that are listed here. As if you could grow by just getting rid of some of the sins, but hanging on to other sin and and continuing to grow. No, that's not how it works. In order for you and I to grow in our salvation, to grow in holiness, we must be actively working at putting aside all sin. Putting it off. Cutting it off. In fact, isn't that what the author of Hebrews tells us? 
Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Lay it aside. Get rid of it. Get rid of any encumbrance that would come against you in your growth in Christ. Get rid of any sin that you would have in your heart that's going to hinder you from growing in your walk with Christ. Get rid of it. We're to be actively putting aside all of the sin in our lives. That sin that is a holdover from our old lives because before we were born again. Peter says we're to be actively working at cutting all of that away. That's what we're commanded to do if we desire to grow. And if you look at Peter's list here of sins, I don't believe he's referring to five specific sins that these Christians that he's writing to need to get rid of. But these are five sins that are listed as a representative of the sins that we need to cut off from the old life. These are representative sins. And as you'll see, none of these sins relates directly to God. But these are sins that have to do with destroying the fellowship of believers who, if you remember, we are commanded to love. Right? Back in chapter 1 and verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your soul for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. We've been commanded to do that. And in order for us to continue to grow in that love for one another, we need to get rid of sin in our lives. We need to cut it off. These are also sins that will destroy our sensitivity to the Word of God and it will stunt our growth. Or even reveal that a person is not truly saved if they continue to hold on to these sins. These sins listed here can reveal that a person is not actually truly born again. So let's look at this list that Peter gives us here. Notice the first one that he says is malice. Malice. What does this mean? In a a general sense, it just means evil. Get rid of all evil. Put it all aside. It's it's an all-inclusive word to refer to the wickedness and all kinds of forms of evil. Get rid of all of it. In a more specific context, it could refer to hatred and the ill will of another person, but I believe that what Peter has in mind here is a more general context of wickedness. Saying, get rid of any evil that you see in your life. Get rid of all of it. What you're commanded to do. Then number two, Peter says, in all deceit. All deceit. This word was originally used to describe bait for fish. Or it's a trap. It means to have a cunning attitude that deceives and hurts other people in order to get what you want. Deceiving. In our modern culture, we see this in advertisement. Where we call this bait and switch. Bait them in. With the, the price that seems too good to be true. 
And then you switch it on them. And you get them. And you see this in advertisement today. It's bait and switch. Deceiving. A cunning attitude that deceives in order to get what you want. They'll do that because they want you to buy their product. So they'll bait you in. They're cunning, cunning attitudes that deceives. He says, put all of that away. Get rid of all of that. Then he says, number three there, in hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. This is a person who is always concealing their real motives. Someone who meets you with a face which is very different from his heart. Smiles at you. So nice to see you. Where inside, in his heart, he's saying, no, it's not. (laughs) I don't want to be here with you. But on the outside, and his words are, are different from his real feelings. It's a hypocrite. He pretends and puts on a show and and acts out something that he's not. This is play acting or pretending. This is the religious attitude of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. Who came to Peter and looked religious on the outside, but who were they lying to? The Holy Spirit. Can't get away with that. Hypocrites. Looking good on the outside, but really there's something different on the inside. It's play acting, pretending. And Peter says, cut that off. Get rid of that. Then, number four, he says, in envy. This is the attitude of resenting someone who is prospering. Resenting someone who is prospering. We can call this jealousy. This type of attitude seeks to defame the real good of others. A person sees someone else prospering and they don't like it. They don't like it. They can't bear to see someone else succeed or flourish. And typically it's because they want the success of that other person because they aren't content with their own situation. Because they're not content with their own situation, they become jealous envious toward another person. Peter says, get rid of that. Get rid of that sin. And then finally, Peter says, in all slander, this word slander here means to defame another person's character, and it usually happens behind that person's back to slander them. It's usually the fruit of envy. An envious person will begin to slander because they don't like what they see happening to that other person. And Peter says, all of this should be cut off from each one of you. Put it all away. Remember that you have been born again by the living and enduring Word of God. And that you, as brothers and sisters in Christ, are commanded to love one another. So get rid of all of this stuff. Get rid of it. And if you are actively working at getting rid of all of this, it is then that you will begin to grow as a believer in Christ. 
If you desire to grow as a born-again Christian, these sins and all that is represented in these sins must be put aside. It must be cut off so that you can grow as a child of God. One commentator says, only when we put aside our evil desires will we begin to grow as Christians. Growth is impossible without pruning away the diseased wood. We've got to prune it. Get rid of it. And we must even prune this out of the church. So that if we desire to grow as a church in our love for one another and grow as the body of Christ together, these sins must be cut off. We must get rid of these. Because these sins that are not dealt with but continue to fester in a church will cause all kinds of trouble and will stunt the growth of the church. And so, in order to grow in our salvation, we must cut off these sins in our lives. Put them away once and for all. That is what we must cut off. Then there's a second obligation that we have. Secondly, we look at what we must crave. What we must crave. We must cut off these sins, but then there's something that we must crave. And look at what Peter tells us in verse 2. He says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now we get to the positive side of things. The negative was what we must cut off, what, what we must get rid of. But now the positive is what we must actively long for. What we must desire. Now notice the imagery that Peter gives us here. He says, like newborn babies. Like newborn babies. And Peter is not saying here that these believers that he's writing to are newborn baby Christians. That's not what he's saying. He's not identifying them as newborn Christians. He's not exhorting them like the author of Hebrews who said in Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. The author of Hebrews was saying there, you are acting like baby Christians. You continue to go back to the elementary principles. These things that you learned early on when you first got saved. And he's saying, move on, mature. But that's not what Peter is saying here. Peter's not saying here that the believers that he's writing to only understand the elementary teachings about Christ or that they're baby Christians, but he uses the imagery here of a newborn baby in order to help them understand what it takes to grow as a born-again believer. Now, what's interesting is that Peter uses two Greek words here for newborn and baby. Or infant is that word. But he uses two Greek words, newborn and baby. And he could have just used baby or infant. But he says newborn baby. And the picture that he uses is of a newborn baby who is just born and is crying and desiring his mother's milk. That's the imagery that he uses here. And Peter's not trying to be derogative here. 
but he's getting a point across that just as babies long for the nourishment of their mother's milk, believers should at all times be like those babies and longing for the spiritual nourishment that gives spiritual growth. That's the illustration. That's the picture. You see a a newborn baby and you understand that they long for nourishment. They long for that milk. And he's saying, that's the same way in our spiritual life. We must long for the Word of God. And so he gives the command there. Long for the pure milk of the Word. That word long for is a strong verb. This is a vigorous action that he's saying to take. Essentially what he's saying here is you should crave this all the time. 24-7, it should be the, the craving of your heart. The desire of your heart for God's Word. Long for it. Notice what he says, you and I are to crave. He says, the pure milk of the Word. In 2008, it was discovered that some milk producers in China had been adding the chemical melamine to the milk that they had been producing. This became known as the 2008 Chinese milk scandal. And what these milk producers had done was use this chemical to increase the nitrogen content of the diluted milk that they were producing in order to give it the appearance of higher protein. Higher protein content in the milk so that it would pass quality control testing. And the major product that this company had put this chemical into was infant formula. Which caused kidney stones and kidney failure in the children who were drinking the milk. The result of the scandal was 54,000 children being hospitalized and six babies dying because of the contaminated milk. Contaminated milk produces sickness and death. But we have the milk that produces growth and health in our spiritual walk with Christ. We have the pure milk. That's not contaminated in any way. There's nothing that's contaminated in this book. That word pure that that Peter uses means unadulterated or uncontaminated. In fact, it's the very opposite of the word deceit that Peter uses found in verse 1 there. That word deceit. This word pure is the very opposite of that. Pure means without deceit. There's no deception in it. It's unadulterated, uncontaminated. Sadly, there's a lot of Bible teaching in our land that is not pure. Many people use God's Word to deceive others. But it's not just Bible teaching, but even individual people coming to the Word of God on their own. And they want to interpret God's Word according to what makes them feel good. Instead of reading it and taking it for what it truly is, the Word of God. 
One commentator says, the milk upon which Christians are to feed should be unmixed or pure, not adulterated or drugged with vain and deceitful philosophy or any thrust in human deceits. It's the pure milk of the word that gives us growth. But many people are looking outside of that pure milk to grow. They look outside of the Word. They go to man's books. Radio programs, podcasts, all kinds of other things that are adulterated with man's philosophies. But it's the pure milk of the Word that we are to crave, not those other things. We're to crave the Word. Long for the Word. One commentator takes this Purity, this word purity here, to mean the whole counsel of God. Literally meaning the whole Bible. The entire thing. And he says this, We don't grow spiritually by lifting out a verse for comfort here and there. We need the total word of God to grow. We need all of it. He's right. You can get all kinds of bad doctrine by pulling out a verse here and there. Trust me, many false teachers are out there who are doing that right now. They pull a verse here, they pull a verse there. And it's now adulterated because they've put their own ideas, their own thoughts into it instead of giving the full counsel of the Word of God. We need the pure word. We need the whole word. We need the entire inspired word of God in order to get the proper nutrients and grow. And he says we must long for it. We must crave it. We must desire it. See, that's where it all begins. In fact, notice this. Notice that Peter doesn't say, read the word of God. Preach the word of God. Listen to the word of God. Or even memorize the Word of God. He doesn't say that. While those things are essential to our growth and are commanded in other parts of the Bible, His command here is to crave it. The first thing you must do is to crave it because He knows that all those other things will come when there is a craving for God's Word. When you crave God's Word, you'll read God's Word. When you crave God's Word, you will desire to hear preaching from God's Word. When you crave God's Word, you'll listen to the Word, the word of God and you will even memorize the Word of God because you crave it. You long for it. You desire it. And you say, well, well, what does this craving look like? I mean, how can I know if I, if I have a craving for God's Word? Here's a good indicator of how your craving is. How much time do you spend in God's Word? How much time do you spend in God's Word? Not listening to podcasts about it but actually sitting down with your Bible open and reading it. 
I told the men yesterday that according to a 2021 LifeWay research study, only 32% of Protestant churchgoers read their Bible every day. It's less than one-third of the people that attend our churches who actually sit down and read their Bibles. And we wonder why the evangelical church is in the state that it's in. The church is malnourished. The church is malnourished. And we can blame it on bad teaching, but we must also recognize that the people sitting in the pews have no craving for God's word. There's no hunger. There's no thirst. There's no desire for it. That's why we have a a Bible reading plan here at Faith Bible Church. You can pick one up. I believe they're there on the back table. If not, it's online. Bible reading plan to help you to be in God's word every single day. And don't just read it to check off a box, but read it to know God. You know, a set of John Bunyan, if you cut him, he'd bleed scripture. Why was that? Why would he bleed scripture? Where did that all begin? It all began with his craving for God's word. He longed for it. He desired it so much that it was in him. And therefore he spoke it and he lived it. But he all, it all began with a craving for God's word. And that's what... Peter desires for his readers and for us in our passage here. He commands us to crave the pure milk of the word. Why? Why should we crave it? Well, notice he tells us here in the last part of verse 2. He says, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Now Peter tells us the purpose of craving the word. And notice he doesn't say, so that by it you can have more Bible facts. Or so that by it, you can defend some doctrinal position. Or so that by it, you can feel good about yourself because you had some kind of quiet time in the morning. He says, so that by it, you may grow in respect to salvation. The purpose is to grow spiritually, to come to know Christ in a greater way and be conformed to His image. And as those who are born again, we must grow. Grow now and grow always. And listen, isn't that what is implied in this word grow? Are we ever to be satisfied with our present spiritual development? No, we're not. We're never to be satisfied with where we're at. But there must be a longing to grow more. An understanding that I must grow more. 
We must be striving for more spiritual growth, right? And wasn't that the Apostle Paul? Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus Christ. What was he laid a hold of by Jesus Christ? He's talking about his salvation there. I was saved for what? So that I can lay hold of Christ. And what must I do? I must press on. I must continue to go. He goes on, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul was never satisfied with where he was at spiritually. He longed to grow more and to continue to know Christ. He continued to press on and to grow and to grow in his knowledge of his Savior. And isn't that what Peter tells us in 2 Peter? 2 Peter 3.18, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we got saved, spiritually we were babies. When you got saved, you were a spiritual baby. We didn't know much. We knew the gospel and that was about it. But as those who have been born again, our goal is to grow in that salvation that has been given to us. That's what we're to pursue. We aren't to stay babies, but we're to mature. We're to grow in the salvation that's been given to us. In fact, that maturity is evidence that we have been truly born Again, Tom Schreiner says the evidence that one has been given life by the Father through the Word is that believers continue to long for that Word and become increasingly mature. It's the evidence of it. You want to know if you're saved or not? Do you long for the Word of God? Do you desire it? Do you crave it? True believers do. Because they desire to grow in the salvation that they've been given. And this growth. Cut off. And what we must crave, and finally our third point is that is what we must consider. What we must consider. Look at verse 3. Notice what Peter says there. He says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Peter actually takes this from Psalm 34 and verse 8 where David says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And why would Psalm 34 be on Peter's mind? Well, Psalm 34 is about David fleeing from Abimelech. And David praises God for delivering him from all of his troubles. Remember, what are the readers of Peter's letter going through? Trouble. Trials. Persecution. 
tribulation in their own life. And so Peter's mind goes to God's deliverance of David, knowing that God will deliver these people as well. And I love this. Where does Peter's mind go? It goes to the Word of God. Why? What did Peter crave? Crave the Word of God. And he craved it so much, what does he speak? He speaks the Word of God. He's quoting Psalm 34. His mind goes to the Word because he craved it. But notice what Peter says here. He says in our passage here in verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. What does Peter mean by this? Why does he use this word if here? I mean, aren't, aren't these people believers that he's writing to? Why does he say, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord? Well, Peter doesn't use the word if here to imply any doubt, but to state a fact for the sake of argument. He uses this word to state a fact for the sake of argument. And what he does here is he wants them to consider the reality that they have been born again in the past. If, or we could say, since you have been born again, since you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, since you have tasted it, you tasted it when when you were born again, when you heard the living and enduring word of God and you were saved, he says, now, now crave that. Remember that, that taste that you had of it? When it came and impacted your heart and you repented and you trusted in Christ, you obeyed its command? Oh, continue to crave that. Crave it. Long for it. He's saying here, consider the blessing that you've received when you were saved by Christ. And he wants that then to motivate or to drive them to desire it even more. The NIV translates this verse as, Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Those translators, they've translated it that way as a fulfilled condition. You have tasted it. Now that you have tasted it, now that you have been born again, oh, continue to desire it, to long for it, to crave for the Word of God. That's Peter's argument here. You've tasted the kindness, the goodness of the Lord. How did we taste the kindness of our God? Did any one of us deserve to be born again? Not a single one of us did. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No one deserves to be born again. But God, out of His grace and out of His mercy, out of His kindness, He saved us. And we tasted it, the kindness of God, when we were saved. And Peter's saying here, yeah, you know that same word that you heard? and by which you were saved, continue to long for it so that you might grow, so that you might be sanctified. 
Just as that initial salvation experience was sweet and amazing when you heard the word of God by which you were saved, he's saying so is the experience of sanctification. How often have you stopped to consider your salvation? You ever stopped to consider that? When I was not living for Christ and then he saved me. And wow. Something, something happened there. It was a radical change in my life. It was sweet. It was glorious. It was amazing. I was on fire for Christ. I just wanted to tell everybody about what Christ did for me. Remember how sweet and amazing that was? Remember how you craved God? Craved His Word? He's saying, don't ever lose that craving. Continue to have that. Look back at that moment if you need to. Look back at that moment when He saved you and allow that to motivate you to crave His Word even more. If you have a lack of longing for spiritual growth, just think back to that moment when God saved you. And may that motivate you and drive you to long for God's Word so that by it you might grow. And so we have seen what we must cut off sin in our lives, what we must crave, the pure Word of God, and what we must consider, the kindness of our God in saving us. In closing, we all love Bible study, right? We all love Bible study. We're in a camp where we promote Bible study. Bible study, Bible study, and more Bible study. And it's good and right to crave the Word of God. Peter's just commanded us here to crave for God's Word. But listen, we can easily get caught up in studying the Bible to know facts and never let it change us. It's easy to do. Especially now with all that's going on in Israel. Ooh, what's the timing? Ooh, what's going to happen next? What's the next event that's going to happen? Whoa, well, I know now. You know facts. Are you letting the Word of God change you? Church, it's not the purpose of Bible study just to know more facts. It's not just to know facts or win an argument or look holier than thou because of all the Bible studies that we attend. Let me ask you, do you study the Bible to know Christ more and be changed by Him? Remember what Jesus said to the Jewish leaders in John 5, 39? Listen to what He said. You search the Scriptures. They did what? Jewish leaders, what did they do? They searched the Scriptures. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
What does Jesus say, though? It is these that testify about me. They testify about me. That's the purpose of the Word of God. It, it testifies of Christ. Listen, the purpose of Bible study is to know the God of the Bible that we study. That's the purpose of it. Edmund Hebert said it this way, the true aim of Bible study is never a mere mastery of its contents, but a transforming experience with the Lord who reveals begins when we crave God's word let's pray father thank you for your word that you've given to us and how amazing and important it is in our lives father I pray that you would give us a longing a craving a desire for Lord, so that by it we might grow Lord not so that we can just fill our head with a bunch of bible facts but Lord, so that we might come to know you in a deeper way, in a greater way. Lord, we thank you for those that have gone before us. The men who gave their lives and even died so that we could have a Bible in our hand. Lord, never, never let us take that for granted. But help us to understand how amazing it is that we can even have this in our hand. And how wonderful and magnificent your word is. Lord, give us a longing for it, a craving for it, so that we might come to know you in a greater way. And Lord, as we read from James chapter 1 this morning, Lord, may we not be hearers only, but may we be doers of your word. To take your word and allow it to impact our hearts, to be changed by it and to live it out in our lives. Lord, we thank you for the gospel that is revealed in your word the gospel that has saved us. And Lord, I pray for anyone who is here this morning who is not saved, who is not born again. Lord, I pray that you would convict them of their sin, that they would understand that their sin has separated them from you, and that if they die in their sin, they will spend an eternity in hell under your wrath. Father, may that conviction drive them to you. Lord, grant them repentance and faith that they might turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ, your Son, in whom the Word of God speaks of and points to, our Savior who came and paid the price for our sin. We thank you for your Word. We thank you for the gospel message. 
We thank you for the promise of eternal life that you give us in your word for all who are born again. Lord, may we desire you more, craving the pure milk of the word. And may we do it all for your glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.